Welcome to the Evolving Accountant Podcast. We all know that some accountants can be boring, but definitely not this one. Why talk trial balances and P&L when we can get ripped jeans into the boardroom and hear business insights from people who have really walked the talk? Get ready. Here comes an all-new episode with your host, Darren Wingfield. Hi, Kevin, and welcome to the show today. For our listeners out there, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, but more importantly, why you get out of bed in the morning? Hi, Darren. It's pretty good of you to ask me to sort of explain a little bit about myself. My name is Kevin Madison. I've got a, a business called Root Cause Consultancy, which is run alongside a lot of things that I've been doing over the years. However, one of the reasons that I've kept the consultancy business running is I actually just love working. I like working on problems that some people have. I like business, but I also like working hard, but providing for my family and spending time with my friends too. So it's that work-life balance we're probably going to talk about today. Perfect. So just going into a little about your career or your journey to date, where has it took you or where have you been bringing ultimately (laughs) to where we are at the current day? A brilliant question, that isn't it? Especially when I'm 60 year old. So I've sort of experienced quite a bit in my time. I started off working for my father in the motor trade, and then the invest in the motor trade allowed me to work in every area of that, that sort of sector, which basically meant I was one of petrol pumps, I worked in parts departments, I worked in body shops, I actually worked in car sales showrooms to the point whereby it also introduced me to motorsport. And while I was working in the motor trade, I was fortunate enough to be picked up by one of the professional teams. Did some work with Ford Motorsport and DTV, bit of Formula Ford, bit of Formula Atlantic. Nothing grand like you see on the TV, but the thing is it was a fantastic experience because it taught me about quality. So where I came from a business business background, the motorsport actually added the quality element and the, and the, the need to get things right. Because if we didn't get those things right, it wasn't just about the car. People died. I mean, they were putting themselves at risk. So I got quite an education. I think what it did for me as well is when I left the motor trade, I'd been in business for myself for about 10 years. And I got to the point whereby I built the business up. I had a couple of garages for myself, got the business to about four or five million pounds. And it was just taking over my world. It was 24-7. And a lot of the problems you have when you're in businesses, you think everybody has the same experience. It's only successful. And you're the only one who's having problems. And you're the only one who's actually trying to manage all of this mess. Um, But when I'd left the motor trade, I went into business. I actually found insurance and investment quite interesting. So I I started there as a a salesman, worked my way through, went into management. And eventually, I got into regional management and was given some really good experience inside big companies. And that's led me on to work in property, work in investment companies, work in consulting I've even worked in marine. I've been everywhere from America, right across the Pacific into the Far East, into Hong Kong, China. I've worked in most companies in Europe, and it's given me a very, very broad concept of what business is all around. But, but what I want to try and stress, the journey is all highs and lows, and that's what gives you the experience. So you learn nothing's forever, and I think that's what a lot of people get wrong. So in spite of yourself, you're going to have good times and bad times. But what I think the message is for me from all of the learning, it's about responding to that experience rather than reacting to the experience. And people react to good and bad times, if that makes sense. 
So they react in the heavy spenders when things are going well, and they disappear down potholes when things are going bad and pull the lid down to make sure nobody's taking potshots at them. So their reactions, I think responses, it's understanding where you are on that cycle. Some very serious words there, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been, a, it's been a long life so far, I think. <laughs> and I was going to say, has there been a year like this one? I've never known a year like this one. I've never been cooped up for so long, and I've never known so much third-party influence on business in my life. It's It's just... You just don't know what's going to happen next. I feel so sorry for those businesses that can't do any planning. They can't tell the staff what's going on. And they certainly can't make any forecasters to, you know, we were double, guess, double guessing what this COVID virus was going to do. Um, and now, you know, we can see an end to it, but it's made such a mess of the economy. I think we've all just got to wait and see how it pans out. It'll be a very, very brave man to make some big decisions at the moment. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So going into a little about what you do now or what your company does, can you sort of explain where we are today? I think most businesses would sort of reflect on the fact that it's the people they depend on, no more in a crisis. So whenever I'm talking to a business, my philosophy is always about a proposition is it's people, the process it uses, and the profitability it expects. So the proposition can be broken down into those three elements. And I think when you look at a business about how they generate business, how they manage business that they've created to deliver it to the client, and then the financial consequences of doing that business, I think you have to start looking for the right people in the right areas. I think there's too many sole traders, too many businesses that are growing quickly that don't appreciate those three skill sets alone. Just by separating them, uh, they'll probably get more clarity on what's going on inside the business. So I always work in those three ways. And the, the thing that I've always worked on is in three words. One's called trust. The other one's expertise. And the final one is ease. And when you're trusting somebody in a relationship, it doesn't matter whether you're dealing with a bank or whether you're dealing with another colleague, but the trust is essential. And then you have to have either the right expertise inside the business or access expertise in order to deliver what it is you're actually sort of talking about delivering to your clients and then the final one is how easy to do business with you because i tend to find somebody has a great product you know they've got really good people but then they're very complex systems i mean i don't know if you've ever been on an app or you've ever been on a website whereby that's a really good idea and then you're struggling to actually do business with them so they spend all their time explaining what they're good at explaining the prices right and then when you come to transact, they just don't have it. So you see people just bailing out now and finding somebody it's easy to do business with. So that's a that's a big thing. So the common sense elements bring to me two common issues. When I'm working inside businesses, you're either developing the people, in which case, you know, that you've got really well-trusted people who just need upskilling, or sometimes where they're used to working alone, you need to have these people learning to work with each other because as we'll probably get on to, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the profiling that I use. And then the other one is developing processes. When I walk into some businesses, they're either too simple or too complex for the process they use them. And the simplicity one is pure delegation and then abdication. So it's like telling you to go and win the Premier League and then I'll come back next year and if you haven't done it, you know, you're going to have your head chopped off. I mean, that's delegation with abdication. Whereas the complexity is... The micromanaging that most businesses tend to fall into is where they can't let go of something they enjoy doing. 
So you have to separate the tasks that you need to do from those you like to do that you shouldn't be doing. So when you're finding the people who like doing that stuff and you like the processes, they're too complicated or somebody's micromanaging an area that they've given away, it's fairly simple to make people aware of it and put the fix in so you're normally in that business straight away. But I think the, by breaking it down into those two simple elements, one, the plenty of systems around, very good CRM systems, which are even free of charge once you start using them, are good enough to manage a database of opportunity. Uh, but the main one for me is making people aware of behavior. So if you can get people to be aware of their own behavior, that's the greatest impact. Because I actually think it's the people inside business who make things work, not the lucky guy who was revered as this fantastic guy but he was just in the right place at the right time and he does nothing afterwards he makes his money and that's him done i think you've got to look to the continuity of a business by working with the people and by making them aware of their own skill set i use a tool called i3 an i3 profiling tool and the reason i like it is it doesn't put you in a pigeonhole uh, we've done about eighteen and a half thousand people inside it and there's no two profiles the same. And the reason there's no two profiles the same is we look at the environment people work in as well as the skill set they bring. And giving you an example of that is if you were to think about somebody who loves being amongst people and he goes does his job really well and he motivates that team in a bull ring type environment and then he gets promoted and the company thinks he wants an office on the floor above with two windows overlooking the city, he's got his own space and he's now alone. It's the same guy, but you've changed his environment. And that environment makes him so unhappy, he leaves the company and you're, you're sitting there wondering, well, we give him everything he wanted, we give him more money, we give him an office. But what you didn't consider was the fact that he doesn't like working in an office by himself, so he didn't get the right result. He felt unhappy and you lose him. That's the sort of scenario that sometimes you can find with that tool. That's really interesting. A couple of quick questions from what you've just gone through. Firstly, I support Newcastle. I'm never going to win the Premier League, whether it's this year, next year, or 10 years. That's all right, mate. I, well, I used to have hair and I support Newcastle too. So the, the thing <laughs> is, we're both long suffering. <laughs> so the the other question I had that sort of jumped out was when you were talking about the ability to purchase or the ability yeah. to be, to transact with a company. If yeah. you went into a company and you went through the whole of the journey and they were saying how great they are, great they are, but you didn't, as a customer, have the ability to purchase or buy, how, how would you normally go about that process? Because um, that's very different from someone that isn't very good at saying what they do. They, they're nice, friendly people, but haven't got the name out there or haven't got a, a great website or a track record for closing sales, for an example. Yeah, I think, I think when, when you try to make it easy for people to do business, you, you go back to those three principles, trust, expertise, and ease of business. And if you look at them in their own environment, if you look at them in isolation, so... First thing is you say, okay, why should you be trusted? They tend to reframe what it is they're selling. So, so what what tends to happen after that is why should people trust you? Why should they use you instead of somebody else? It actually it it creates discussion inside the business whereby they can start reframing their proposition. And then when you're talking about expertise, what is it that you do? And do you have it in house, or do you or do you work with external people? Do you? It, it depends on the business because small large businesses. You can, you can put a certain template over any business, but I think you, you need the input from the people that are in the business. I stress the, the fact that I can walk into two manufacturing businesses 
who are manufacturing exactly the same product, but they have to do it a different way because of the type of people they are. So some people are very aggressive in the marketing. Some people are more passive in the, the work on referral. And it just depends on what that business is trying to, to generate in terms of its income and its expectations. But I think when it, when it comes to the trust, the expertise, and ease of doing business, and you, and you then throw that template of who are in the, who's in the business, profiling the people with the processes they use, how much paper is being used, how much repetition, how many mistakes are being made, transferring information from one department to the other. All that fits together. So it's, it's not easy to say, I've got a magic ball, I can walk in there. I have to, I have to sort of feel the business, if that makes sense while I'm there and help them understand what they can do to improve things. And, you know, I'm not the oracle, but I can bring the experience of an awful lot of other people's approach to business in there and put it into the mix when they're actually looking for solutions. Perfect, perfect. So just going back to the profiling that you mentioned and on on the site, or I should say the current site, because we know it's about to get changed a little, it talks about profiling, dynamics and recruit. Yeah. Can we sort of just touch on that a little bit? Can you explain a little bit further on sort of what makes that a different element to what you bring to the table? Sure. The profiling is about an individual. We can't help who we are. Um, We make people aware of the character in seven traits. And those traits are explained to them. They're all done in a positive way. So everybody's a positivity. But, But some people are very good contributors to a team vocally. Some people are very good contributors to a team in their ability to research. And if they're the two extremes, so if you imagine somebody sitting there talking about all the research, they would bore the pants off a conceptual vocalized person because the vocalized person tends to want to wax lyrical about it and conceptualize it and discuss it, where the other guy would want to go away and say, well, that's a good idea, but let me go away and I'll just research it for a couple of days and bring it back. So they're two different people. So when you're actually profiling individuals and you layer that with, do they like working in a team or do they like working by themselves in isolation or is it a combination of the two? The individuals, first and foremost, need to understand themselves. Then the dynamics element is bringing the individuals together and layering all of those results in front of them and saying, you're that type of person, you're that type of person. Why do you think when you talk to each other, you irritate each other? And then the dynamics of the team start becoming aware of each other's preference, the way they like communicating, the way they like doing things. And, it, and you, you build up a tolerance, almost like a, a new way of working together. So you, you tend to get better results. And they're the two extremes. When you're working in recruitment, we can actually profile the recruit before we join the team because the team actually creates a profile of itself as an aggregate. So we know what type of character might come into that team and improve it, and what type of character might come in there and shake it up a little and create some tension. So depending on what their intentions are, the recruitment element profiles the job as well as the environment and then looks for candidates to fit those two criteria. So that's how the three things fit together. One of the best analogies I can give you is the team and the dynamic meetings we facilitate. It's really interesting to watch the team grow together. So it's not about lecture-style coaching, which I tend to find a lot of HR people pushing for more performance appraisals and all this stuff, tend to focus on. is more about what the company wants, whereas what this system tends to do is we tend to focus on the individual and then putting the individuals together, working together on whatever it is they're doing. 
So, so it's it's about getting better performance from the team because you get better awareness and performance from the individual. So that's how it knits together. That makes a lot of sense. Just on that, when you talk about, uh, let's use a HR department that wants to do things for the company, like you mentioned, your appraisals, your performance reviews, your performance enablement sessions, whatever you want to call them, or performance management. There's that one that's working for the individuals or for the staff. What's some of the light bulb moments that sort of spring to mind when you, um, when I ask that question? That's a, it's, a, it's a really, really interesting question, that, because it took a while for me to complete my MBA, and I actually did my MBA on performance assessments. So basically, individual performance management was my MBA. And and what I what I found was that the problem that most performance assessments fail, and the, the reason why they fail, is you've got people in them. So the individuals, I mean the, the systems are fantastic, the tick box exercises, you know, the appraisals, the psychology, everything in performance appraisal, and then putting people into boxes and then they qualify for pay rises or not, they qualify for this or not. Based on that assessment, they end up with like things they have to do going forward. And then you put the personal relationship between a manager and that staff member together and the friends, okay? And that guy has to score down a friend. And you've all, all of a sudden, you've got conflict. So, so the problem that you've got just on that one assessment, you just, you can just, it conjures up all sorts of issues. So you've got a guy getting a pay rise who performed the same as a guy down the corridor, but because one's a friend, he gets a pay rise, and the other guy says, you've got to do a bit more work. So they're, 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 they're the things that I, I found were wrong in a lot of the performance assessments. And yes, there are people who can cope with those environments, but in the majority, the human behavior takes over from the performance assessment. And, and that's where the conflict was for me. And all the research that I, I went into, all of the stuff that I had access to when I was working through the universities, is the fact that I brought that experience from all sizes of business, all measures of systems, all methods of actually performance appraisal. And I came to the conclusion that most of them are flawed, and that's the bottom line. But I'll be challenged on that by anybody that's made a system. I'll be challenged on that by any HR department that thinks they're making a difference. But fundamentally, I'll not be moved from the fact that they're flawed based on the fact that human behaviour sits in them and that's why I actually like working with the people um, rather than a performance assessment process of telling them where I feel most of the systems are geared up to find fault they're not geared up to find positivity so so that's why I like working in a different way. Awesome thanks for sharing that. Just moving on slightly what do you see around the corner for yourself Kevin? That's an interesting one. I think for one of the things personally, I, I just want to get to the point whereby my consultancy business at the minute is working with two or three companies at the moment, and those those businesses are keeping me busy. And and uh, what's actually happening is, as I'm getting more involved with companies, it's more about uh, doing a little bit more hands-off than getting seven days a week stuff. I think from a personal point of view, I'd like to slow down. I think uh, I'm not ready to do that yet because... Even in my spare time, I'm filling that with a lot of golf. I like watching rugby, so we're right in the middle of that at the moment, despite it's the strangest period of my life, watching a, an international rugby game without a crowd. And I didn't realise how much the crowd contributed to that enjoyment. And I also, I like going to the gym, and I've learned that the two things pushing me now is what I've learned for business and personal comes with the words, I think the best way to describe it is health and wealth. So if you're healthy yourself, you actually you actually promote a much better financial environment for yourself because you're actually more active, your mind's working better. And I think if you relate that to business, 
if you actually create healthy processes, have a healthy environment for people to work in, the wealth of the business is sort of looking after itself. So I think I think the analogy for me is I think I just want to be settled enough in my work, but the health comes in the personal relationships as well. So I have a very strong family, my friends, close friends, we share business ideas. Uh, so I get stimulated even when I'm with friends. And I'm a family man, so I've got a strong family. I've just become a grandfather for the first time. So I'm absolutely in a, I'm in a good place. And I think, I think from a, what's around the corner point of view is I don't really know. I'm not ready to stop yet. And if there are more challenges for me to help people with, well, so be it. But I, but I think from a personal point of view, if I can balance work with a bit of family time and a bit of me time, I think that's wealthy. I think that's where the health, if you keep yourself right, and you've got those three elements, I think you're a wealthy person. That's as good as it gets for me. Nice, nice. So rolling back the years then, what's that one thing you'd wish you'd known when you'd started out? I think the one thing I wish I knew how hard business was. <laughs> I wish I wish I'd known how hard and lonely business can be sometimes, um, because I've been in some really really lonely places um, where I can't even share some of the decisions I've had to make with my family and friends. And you know, my heart goes out to anybody in business who's in that position, because that is a lonely lonely. But for building on that, I think staying healthy, I'd come back to that point, stay healthy, and I think you're wealthy in different ways, because by being healthy and having good, positive people around you, they'll help you through those low spots when you need them. But you've got to be brave enough, come come back to how hard business is, you've got to be brave enough to make hard decisions, but work with your own principles. So the last thing to do is, is sort of be deceitful and do stuff, because if you're doing that, you're just you're damaging your own health, you're damaging your reputation. And the one thing I always want to be able to say is I have my integrity. As long as I have my integrity, I can look myself in the mirror and know that I haven't deliberately done anybody any harm. Well, I think that helps with the health. Perfect. So last couple of questions for myself, Kevin. So first one, one of our core values is we love to learn. So I always ask, how do you learn? And who do you take your advice from? I've, I've been fortunate enough to meet some very, very experienced people in my time. I mean, not just in business, but in the world of sport. I've sat and listened to the preparation both of those people do. So my advice that people would be don't get polarised. Uh, I tend to find that a lot of business people have an example or a person or something that motivates them. And I think that's dangerous. I think polarisation is the worst thing. So my continued influence is the fact that I like motivational quotes. I like I like looking at all sorts of inspirational material. But I, but I think from a from a personal point of view, what I've really got into is audiobooks. I listen to them when I'm driving, but I listen to fiction as well as non-fiction and, and I just try to get a broad based sort of experience of the world. I mean I, I listened to Greek mythology, Stephen Fry the other day, and I'm and I've listened to James Patterson this week. And, I've, I, you know, the thing about it is it couldn't be further from each other. But but I think it's just mix it up. Don't get polarised. So my my advice comes from a variety of people. But like I say, uh, trusted friends, people who tell you straight if you're doing something wrong or people who've experienced what it is you're living through, taking experience advice will be my, my, my message to anybody who's in a hope needs help. You mentioned uh, motivational quotes there. Have you got one that jumps out? Have I got one that jumps out? 
I think that I think I always come back to the um, what was Alcoholics Anonymous one, which is serenity, and it says, "God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, but the wisdom to know the difference." And I think that's always been a one I've always fallen back on because too many people. I think courage of and it's the the fear of the unknown. I think courage is the big one, and I've been in places sometimes where. I've been terrified of making the decision, but the impact of actually going through that fear barrier is incredible on the other side where a lot of the things you fear just never happen. So just go for it, you know, have the courage to go for it and you'll be amazed at the difference. It's quite weird you mentioned the courage one. I don't know what, I was out walking the other day and I was thinking back to the old Harlan's office before we moved about four or five years ago. And I always remember as you walked down the stairs, there was different motivational quotes, there's pictures and stuff. And there was always one that I read every day as I was walking up. This was a three-story building as well. So it was up and down the <laughs> stairs all the time. And there must have been 10, 15 of these pictures on this staircase. And the only one I ever read was jump, or sorry, leap, and the net will appear. And it was like, and I still think about that one now and I can picture the image and I could describe it. But I can't tell you any of the other 15 that was on that wall, apart from that one, and it was on the first stairwell down, and it was a spiral staircase, and it was the second second or third picture down on the right-hand side, and I've seen it every morning and every night, and that stuck with me, and that's been so weird. Yeah, I think analogies and motivational quotations, inspirational quotations, actually say much more to you than you appreciate because they're normally in one or two sentences. And they just wrap it up. They put it into the context that you want to take the message uh, rather and have somebody lecture you. And I think you can take your own strength, your meaning from this, you know, very, very wise people sometimes. People who've got experience and you just want to draw from them. So if you find anything like that, you're a lucky guy, you know, just, just live with it. But like I say, the one that I've just quoted you tends to be my go-to when, when you're sitting there thinking, what should I do? Final question. How do people find you, Kevin? What's the... Your social platforms or your website, where you're most active if someone wants um, to pop by. My yeah, my website's probably got everything on it. It's got my telephone numbers on it. Social media, I'm not a guru on social media. I need help when it comes to that stuff. But my website is rootcauseconsultancy.com. Uh, sorry, and let's do that again because it's got a hyphen in it. It's www.root-cause-consultancy.co.uk. And if anybody wants to contact me through that medium, I'd be over the moon to have a chat. Awesome. Just want to say thank you for your time today, Kevin. It's been great talking. Great. Uh, thank you very much for your time as well, Darren. I'm not often asked for my opinion, so let's <laughs> 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 <Just> to talk. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. All the best, fellas. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Accountant. You can find out more and get show notes for this and all our other episodes at theevolvingaccountant.co.uk.